So good to be with you guys today, and uh, whether you're in the building or gathering online, we want you to be um, comfortable, and we want you to settle in and spend a few moments thinking about our relationship with God, right? Very important. You know, when we start thinking about this season that we're in of Thanksgiving, right, have you ever been, and I'm sure you have, where you're so thankful it's almost like this relief, like a decompression feeling, like life was tense, you're in a situation that you're not quite sure how it's going to turn out, you're, you're just like on pins and needles and your, your whole body is just kind of tight and you're just kind of like, ah, how is, and oh, and it's just like, and then it all works out. <laughs> and it's like, woo, Relief. And you just want to lay down for a minute because you're kind of exhausted about from the emotion of it. And you're just kind of tired because you've been stressed out and worried and you've been a bit frantic. And then it worked out. Oh, you just, phew, I need a nap. You ever feel like that? But then those those other times, right? (laughs) When it's like, oh no, what did I do? It's like when the word comes out of your mouth to your spouse and you're like, oh no, like I need that back, but nope, <laughs> you know, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, and you can't unring a bell, and you can't, un- you can't unsay a stupid thing, but then you just have like this regret, and it's deep in the pit of your stomach, almost to the point where it hurts, and where you're feeling like you could vomit any minute because of what just took place, and what you just did, and the mistake that you just made, and it's horrendous, and it's hurtful, and you just kind of want to run and hide. You kind of want to rewind time, but you know you can't, and your whole being is just filled with, what did I just do? Wow. And there were some times in your life when God protected you from things, and you didn't even know it. He's working in your life, and you would have been in this state of like extreme regret if God would have given you what you asked for and what you so desperately thought you needed. When I was graduating from Bible college in 1996, I was um, graduating in Colorado, and at the end of what would happen in those days, when you're at the Bible college, your senior year, um, in the Church of the Nazarene, we have these, this position called district superintendents, and they oversee a certain geographic location, and those um, people in those positions were on the Southern California district, and our district superintendent is Dr. Tom Taylor. And so when there's, a, when there's a vacancy in a pastoral situation, a church needs a pastor, it's those guys' job to work in coordination with the board to find one, right? And what happens around the springtime at the Nazarene Bible College at this time was district superintendents would start to either travel to the Bible College, believe it or not, no Zoom meetings in, you know, in 1996, but they would drive, fly or drive to the Bible College and they would meet with a lot of the seniors that were graduating to see if there would be any fit for, um, for openings on their district. And I met with district superintendents from Arizona and from Michigan and from Florida and with some other, other guys. And then um, the district superintendent in L.A. at the time, he happened to be one of my professors when I was my freshman and sophomore year, but then he had taken that. So he called me and said, hey, I've got uh, three churches open on my district. I want to bring you out and interview you at two of them. And so I said, okay. So we flew out, uh, Susan and I, and uh, we flew out and we interviewed at these churches. And I remember looking at some of the district statistics 
and I, re- I noticed a church was open in a particular city that I won't mention. Uh, I noticed a church was open in a specific city, and I, I kind of looked at that church, and I thought, well, no, why am I not being interviewed at that church? <laughs> I mean, this church, for me, seems like it would be a fit. But yet he's interviewing me at these other two churches, which I have to be honest with you, I had zero interest in. Just like, didn't feel like it was a match, didn't feel like the direction that they wanted to go was the direction that I felt gifted to, to go. And uh, in the meantime, I was 25, so what did I know? And so it turns out that I talked to the district superintendent about that church. I said, well, what about this church over here? I would like to interview there. What, why, why aren't you not taking me over there? And he just didn't really answer my question. He just kind of went, well, we're just, I just feel like I want to just take you to these churches. And he just kind of almost like didn't even look at me when I asked him the question, almost just like dismissed me all the way around. And for 25 years, I've just kind of wondered what would have happened if he would have had me interview at that church. I just feel like that church would have been, you know, for 25 years, I've kind of had this little question every so often, every four or five years, I would think about that. Well, I met with someone today, or this this last week, I sat and met with someone. And as it turns out, I didn't even know, because I just met this person and uh, he's uh, been in ed- pastoral education for a long time, so we met to talk about educating new pastors and those kind of things. And uh, he mentioned that he had been a pastor of a certain church, and it was that church that I thought I wanted to. He, he had pastored that church, and he was the one leaving that city. He was the, when he left, that was the vacancy that I thought I would fill. Didn't even know this. And I said, that is so weird that you pastored that church. And I said, I wanted to be interviewed at that church, but the district superintendent didn't take me there. He took me to these other two churches, and he goes, brother, you didn't want that church at all. And I was like, what? He goes, oh, that was, a, that was terrible. He's like, it was, it was terrible. They, they killed pastors. They wore you out. They criticized. They cha- they, it was just like bad. It was like a bad situation. He said, oh, that's why I wanted to leave so bad. He goes, he goes, the district superintendent saved you. And at that point, I was like, Wow. How much regret would have I had in my heart if I would have gotten my way 25 years ago? He said, man, he said, you as a young pastor coming out of Bible college, if you would have stepped into that church, that would, you, you might not have wanted to continue being a pastor. He said it was that bad. And there are churches where pastors go, and then pastors decide, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. These people are crazy, and I don't want to pastor another church, right? And um, so that actually happens. And so I had this kind of moment this week where I thought back 25 years ago, God saved me from something that I wanted, that I asked for, that I thought would be a fit, that I thought would be great. And I sat there in this moment with this new friend of mine and talking and going, what a relief. What a relief. And then I thought about how an amazing time I had for seven years at the church that I did end up pastoring, where I still have lifelong friends to this moment. People on my cell phone, I can call any time. We are lifelong friends in that church that I ended up pastoring. And that church that I pastored for seven years was way more fun <laughs> than what was described to me in that. And so I would like for a, just a moment, and I know I don't do this all the time. This is more of a classroom thing than it is a, a worship service thing. But I would like for you to take just a moment and maybe tell the person next to you or in front of you or behind you, of a time when you were filled with this relief of thanksgiving, of, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful that, 
And maybe you can finish that sentence with your neighbor. And if you're watching on, go ahead and do that. If you're watching online today, I would like you to write that and maybe in the comment section below that you would just go ahead and say, I am thankful for, I, I am extremely relieved that. Go ahead and take a moment and just kind of do that. And I'll just hang out for a second and uh, look not so pretty. But go ahead. I know you can talk in church. Yeah. Finish that statement. I am thankful that. All right. Did you do that? Good. Some of you said I'm thankful for you. I know you probably said that, aren't you? That's right. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about bringing this kind of pleasure to God. And I want you to think that there are times, and I don't fully understand this, and it's kind of been something really kind of puzzling me over these last several weeks, that God can actually have regrets. Can you imagine that? God could actually have a regret. And that God could actually be thankful for you. That those times when you're like, oh, whew, great, wonderful. And those times when you're like, oh, oh no, what did I, what did I do? Do you know God experiences that same type of thing internally? And I know some of you that study theology, you're like, wait a minute, that's not true. God doesn't do that because God knows everything. God is all-powerful. And God would never have a regret because he just knows what's going to happen. And so I'm going to tell you today, as the resident theologian here at the church, I'm going to tell you I have zero idea how an all-knowing, all-powerful God can do something and then regret it later. I don't know. Because you would think his all-knowingness would just prevent him from doing anything that he would later regret, right? And I know it's a puzzle. It's a mystery. I don't know. If you have some good answers, come enlighten your pastor and teach me so that I can too can know what you know. But all I know is when we are reading the Bible, we come across various places where God is thankful and God is pleased. And then we come to other parts, parts of the Scripture where we read about God having regret. We even read in some portion of Scripture where God repents. What? Yeah, that God changes His mind. That He was going to destroy a certain city and then He doesn't. That He's not going to use someone, but then He does. And again, I don't know how all that works out. I don't know how all that plays out in his all-knowingness. But somehow, God has this kind of thing going on within him. If someone could do me a favor and go out there and turn that TV down that's in there. I'm hearing myself come through that TV. That'd be great. Phil's got it. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. I hate the sound of my own voice. I don't know how you guys stand it. Thanks, Wes. And so God experiences this. And what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the good stuff first. I want to tell you some things about how you can be pleasing to God, how you can give God that sense of, whew, my kid did what he was supposed to do. Wow, that's great. And for those of you that have kids and grandkids, you know that feeling, right? It's like, oh, they, they came through, they did it, they behaved. They got home on time. Oh, I'm so glad my kid made that choice. See, that's, that's the emotion that God feels when you and I act in concert with his will for us. And so I want to talk to you guys about bringing pleasure to God 
and not regret. Amen? So the first thing, let's ask this question, what does please God? Interesting question, isn't it? Because some of you have bought into the idea that God is unpleasable, that his holiness somehow puts him at a place where he's just always mad, where he's always thinking that you're less than, and you just never measure up, and well, um, I have to be gracious to them again. Well, I've got to give them mercy once more, and they're never going to get it. They're never going to fully understand, and some of God's kids live their Christian life in such a way to think they're always failing their father. And it's not a lot, all the Christians' fault. A lot of it is people that do what I do. A lot of it is the way we teach the Bible sometimes as pastors and Bible teachers is that we, we put God way up here and we always preach that He's angry. And we kind of sometimes grow up that God is this kind of holy being and he's a curmudgeon, and he's cranky, and he's always saying, why did you listen to that song, and why did you look at that magazine, and why did you, and then when we do something that he pleases, he's like, well, it's about time, because I was about to lightning strike you, and you were about to be done, and it's about time you did that, do better next time, and because some of our parents were like that. Sometimes our teachers were like that. Sometimes our coaches were like that. Sometimes people in authority over us just seem to be never pleased. And so what we do is we take that and we put that on God. It's our kind of projection. We take the negative and the harshness that we see in our leaders and we project that onto God. I want to remove that today. And I want to talk to you about pleasing God. Here's this question, and I believe the answer, in among many, many, many places in Scripture, can be found in Exodus 33, 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. I want that to be what God says about you. I want that to be what God says about me. I want God to come to you and to say, and the Lord said to, and put your name there, I will do the very thing that you are asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with how you're living your life and I know your character. So I'm going to answer your prayers. Because I know you. I know you. You're well motivated. You might not always do it right, but you're well motivated. I know you have a beautiful heart that has some hang-ups and some scars. I know your name. I know your heart. And I love you. And I'm going to answer your prayers. I want God to be that way with you and I want God to be that way with me so how do how do we move and get into that position where God would say to us the same thing that he said to Moses in Exodus 33 I believe part of the answer can be found in first Kings first Kings and that we notice here in first Kings that we can please God with our request we can please God with what we're asking of him look at first Kings chapter 3 verses 5 through 10 at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in upright heart toward you. And you have kept him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day 
So Solomon is saying, you are faithful to my father by putting me here. That's what he said. He said, and now, Lord, my, oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great many people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. He says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great this your great people? And then verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. So you want to be in the place where you're bringing God this sense of, yes, this is, this is it. My kid gets it. Then I invite you to pray for the same things that Solomon prayed. Lord, help me to know good and evil. Help me to know how to come into the presence of people and then to go out of the presence of people. Help me to understand the group where you've, where you've placed me. So when you have decisions to make, you have things that you need to determine in your life. Raising kids, working at a job, finances, all these things that make up life. You're going to bring great pleasure to God by saying, Lord, would you? Would you show me what's good and what's bad? So that I can follow what's good. God loves that prayer. God will answer that prayer every time. And God will be pleased with you, his child, if you should pray that way. Another way that God is pleased is that we can please God by turning from evil and helping others to do the same. Now, this is, this is a big one today because so many Christians today, they're in this kind of position in dealing with our culture. They'll say, well, I'm going to turn from evil, but it's not my business what others do. That I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to follow Jesus, but, there's, but what other people choose is, is, is their business. If they choose to follow whatever religion or no religion, if they choose to live in an unbiblical lifestyle, if they choose to have bad things in their life and to live in a bad direction well that's that's them but i i'm, I'm just going to do my thing i'm just accountable for me and I, i'm not accountable for other people do you know that saddens god that saddens god but to please god look at ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23 says this do i take pleasure this is now this is ezekiel quoting god okay do i take pleasure in the death of the wicked Sovereign Lord. And that question, if you were to read that in the Hebrew, which I can't read that in the Hebrew, but I can read people that read that in the Hebrew, follow me. That question is asked in the negative. Almost like, are you kidding me? Do you actually think I would eat that pile of worms? I mean, the obvious, I hope you understand. <laughs> the answer to that question is no, I'm not going to eat those pile of worms. So this is like the same thing. He's asking in the negative. He says, I do not, do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, I am not pleased. Excuse me, whether I am not pleased when they turn from their evil ways and live. So you can turn. Did you know you have, if whatever is going on in your life today where you're, you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you're feeling some of that regret like, oh, why did I? Do you know that according to the grace and the mercy and the love and the kindness of God that whatever is going on in your life that you feel like shouldn't, you know you can turn? 
Whatever direction you're heading in that God says that's not, an, that's not a healthy direction. You know you're not determined to keep that, down that road. Whatever's going on in your life that's negative, it can be changed to the positive if you decide to turn from, to the Lord. Do you realize that anybody in your life that you're praying for, that's living in a direction that is unhealthy, that is unwise, that is harmful, do you know that they too have the opportunity to turn? They were never in a state where God says, well, can't fix that. God is always willing that you should turn to Him. That God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. God does not take pleasure in punishment. God does not take pleasure in correction. But God takes pleasure in repentance. God takes pleasure. But the lie of the enemy is, God doesn't want you anymore. You've made too many mistakes. This can't be fixed. Just live the rest of your life in regret of what you just did. That's not a position where God would want to leave you. Whatever mistakes you've made, there's room for you. And Jesus says, you, you, you can turn to me. We'll fix it. Nothing's beyond God's repair. Another part here, ending with this part of bringing God pleasure is this. Please God by being faithful over a little. <laughs> faithful over a little. Well, that, that's interesting, isn't it? Because so often we look at things that are small or we look at things that are just a little bit of something. We're like, well, that's just a little. You know, if I had a lot, well, it's just little. That's all. Care over a little. Notice what Jesus says to the one that is faithful over a little. He said, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much into, into the joy of your master. Think about that for a second. That there's this joy that God has because God is the master in this story that Jesus is telling. And he tells the servant, he says, come into the joy of God. So that, that's your invitation today. Your invitation is to move out of seasons of regret and seasons of pain and turmoil and move into the joy of God. And that's where God wants you. God doesn't want you under his wrath. God doesn't want you under his discipline, under his punishment. God wants you to enter into his joy. And you can do all of these things today. It is not beyond you in your ability and in your character and in your strength to please God. I want to tell you today that God is wanting to be pleased with you and that he will work in such a way in your life that you will bring God that great sense of joy and God that great sense of relief. That if you turn to the Lord today with some areas of your life, if you turn some things over to Him that you've been keeping away from Him, if you start making some changes in your life, if you start repenting from some of your sin, do you realize that God's going to be relieved? That He's going to say, oh, finally, you've come to your senses. Finally, this is wonderful. Let's go out and eat turkey. Let's eat five pieces of pie. This is a wonderful day. Entering into the joy of God. Now, if you, if, you, if you don't want that, if you would rather be in God's state of regret, and to be honest with you, I, I don't even want to talk about this next part of my sermon. I, I, I just really, to be honest with you, I want to just say, amen, let's go eat turkey, and Heather will be out there going, wait, we're not ready yet. But I feel it's my duty as your pastor 
to tell you that there's another side to this coin. It's the unpreferred side. It's that place where God has regret. That place where God goes, oh no, why did I ever do that? Huh. See, and this has been driving me lately. Because as I, this message, by the way, was not, just to let you behind the scenes for a moment, this is not where I wanted to go this week. (laughs) But in my personal devotions, I was reading and I was just overwhelmed with this sense that God could have regret. And I started praying and I started thinking, man, Lord, (laughs) I don't want you to regret anything about me. And I started saying, has God ever regretted that he made me a pastor? Hmm. Has God ever regretted that he made me a husband and a father and a grandfather? Man, I just had, that's been kind of with me for like about three weeks now. And so I felt compelled to share this with you as well. So this message today comes more out of what God is doing in my own life than what I've sat in prayer for you and said, God, what are you doing in the church's life? What, what do you want me to tell them? This is like God saying, go tell them what I just shared them with you. And those are kind of different things when it comes to pastors. Sometimes we pastors, we sit and we think about you and we say, okay, God, you know who's going to be there this week. You know who's going to you know who's going to listen to this online. You know who's going to experience this. So God, give me what they need. And that's my running prayer every, every week as I sit and I study and I read the word and I pray about what to talk to you guys about. That, that's my prayer. That's exactly how I do it at the beginning of every week. That prayer is prayed. Well, this week it was a little different. It was just me and God in my devotional times. And then God says, hey, remember that chat that we had back there? You need to go tell your church about this chat that we've had. I'm like, oh, well, God, it's, you know, it's easier when it's just you talking about them. You know, that's an easier thing for me to just stand up here and say, well, you guys. Well, God says to you, well, that's easy. But to stand up here and say, hey, guys, guess what God's been teaching me in my own personal life? See, that's a different, that's a different deal. And so what causes God regret? There's three things that are kind of noticed lately. First one, pretty general, it's wickedness. Genesis chapter 6, verse 6 says this, And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. This is right before he renewed the earth through flood with Noah. But Noah and his family were doing well, but everybody else, the the face of the earth was filled with evil. Go back and read that account. Part of your homework, it would be good for you to go read that whole account and study. And you'll notice that as the world was filled with wickedness and there was Noah and his family... God just said, I'm sorry that I even made man in the first place. Wow, that's pretty intense. So I took that passage and I prayed, whoa, has there ever been a point in my life when God was saying, I'm sorry that I even made this guy? What is he, what is he doing? Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps there was. A second thing. God that causes regret in God's heart is people that turn back from following him. Notice 1 Samuel 15. This is kind of where this whole thing started with me in my devotions as I was reading 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 15, 11 says, God says this, I regret that I have made Saul king. 
for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. You see, this portion in the history of God's people was God wanted the nation of Israel to be unlike every other nation. He wanted them to be a unique and special people that he was going to raise up. Remember, it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob's name changed to Israel. We've got the nation of Israel, right? And it was what's called a theocracy, okay? A theocracy is a nation or a group of people ruled directly by God, not a democracy. They don't have a president. It wasn't a monarchy. We didn't have a king. It was going to be a theocracy. And God was going to lead and guide his people through the role of prophets. Okay? People that met with God and then spoke to the people. as like this mediator between God and man. Later to be replaced by Jesus himself. To where there was no need for any other mediator between God and man except for the Son, Jesus Christ. But what so often people do, like you and I and and everybody before us and probably everybody after us, is that they looked around and they said, oh, look what other people have. And the nation of Israel, they were looking around and they are going, well, look at this. All of these nations have kings. These big, powerful people with big, powerful armies. Oh, we want what they have. We want a king. And so they came to their prophet Samuel and they said, give us a king. And God, he, Samuel's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand what you're asking for. So Samuel went to God, and God basically said, okay, go tell them that if they want a king, this is what's going to happen. First of all, he's going to take away all their young men and build an army out of them and take all their young sons and take them off to war. You want that? Oh, and then he's going to take all your stuff, a.k.a. taxes. He's going to tax you to death. So he's like, okay, if you really want a king, he's going to take your young men off to war, and he's going to tax you to death. And he's going to rule over you and lord over you. And I won't be the one doing that. So they reject God and want a king. And so God says, well, if you want one so bad, here you go. And a few times in Scripture, we see God doing that. That if people are so persistent in praying and praying, and give me God, give me God. And God keeps saying, no, it's not good for you. No, it's not good for you. Give me, give me, give me. God sooner or later say, okay, fine, here you go. It's like when you were a kid and you just had to have all the candy. And your mom's like, here, here's a five-pound box of C's. Have at you. And you're in the corner throwing up going, what in the wide world did I do? So God's like, hey, you want a king? Here's a king. You're going to get the one that's taller than everyone. He's a head above everybody else. Oh, and he's as handsome. He's, 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 he's amazing. For all that you look at, this dude, he's awesome. We're going to send you the stud of studs, and he's going to be your king. Oh, so here comes Saul, King Saul, conquering the enemies of God, building it. This is, this is outstanding. Until one time, Samuel the prophet was late. Pastors are late sometimes, sorry. So Samuel was late because before they went into battle, the prophet was supposed to come and make an offering before the Lord. And as they made an offering before the Lord, they would then, the presence of God would come and fill the army and the army would be led by God and the army would experience victory. But in this case, Saul, because he's bigger than everybody else, more handsome, than he's one of those guys, right? He's like, I'm not waiting on the pastor. Heck with that guy, I'll do it myself. And so he offers, and he's not supposed to do this, so he offers the offering before the Lord and the Lord's like, no, that's not good. And then Samuel just starts to shows up and says, "What did you just do?" Well, I made you were here, so I made the offering in the Lord. And Samuel, to make a long story short, Samuel says, "Oh no, this isn't good. 
God has withdrawn from you. And God withdraws from, from Saul because of his rebellion. And an evil spirit comes upon Saul sent by God. Can you imagine that? We don't like to think about God like that, do we? But when you read this story in its entirety, God removes his spirit from Saul and he sends an evil spirit towards him. And every time Saul is overwhelmed by this evil spirit, again, making the long story short, here comes God raised, beginning to raise up David, that the soon-to-be King David, a king after God's own heart, well, he happened to be a harpist and a shepherd, and he would play a harp before King Saul. And King Saul would be relieved of the pressure of the evil spirit. And that's when God says this. I regret that I made Saul king. He's turned back from following me. Not perform my commandments. See, and I read that in my own personal devo devotions, and I thought, huh, am I doing everything you've told me to do? That became my prayer. I started thinking about you because I was thinking about some stuff at the church. And I said, God, I have one thing I need to do at this church. Is every Sunday when I leave from meeting with you, every time I sit with one of you, every time I do anything related to you whatsoever, I need to walk away from those saying, God, that I do what you told me to do. Because if I don't, I have this kind of thing in my heart. I'm like, God, if I don't lead this church in the way that you've called me to lead it, you will have regret for putting me there. And the last thing I want in my life right now is to God to go, I'm sorry that I ever made that guy the pastor of the retreat church. So please understand and please know that everything that I do around here in regards to leading this church, I'm trying to ignore some things, some motivations that may not be healthiest kind of motivations, but I simply want to do one thing. Lead this church in a way that pleases God. And if you, this sounds harsh, I know, but this is kind of where I'm at. And if you say, I don't like that. I'm sorry, you find another church? I don't want that. I, I want you to stay here. But I can't lead this church based upon what you want. I can't. I have to lead this church 